When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be hard. Like early 90s heavy metal hard. I'm yelling and screaming and I'm loud. Roar. Geico makes it easy. You can review and update your policy or report a claim on Geico.com or the Geico mobile app. Because shouldn't we all have a little less stress in our lives? I'm not even upset about anything. Blog Talk Radio. If you feel there's more to life than iPhones and iPads and mindless consumerism, if you're open to receiving information in all forms in any number of ways, if organized religion, organized political movements, and any kind of collectivism doesn't just quite cut it for you, if you engage in critical thinking, if you think for yourself, if you have peace and love in your heart and Jack Daniels in your bloodstream, if you believe that seriousness is a disease, if you're curious, then come, let us go on a journey together as we explore the outer limits of inner truth. Welcome to the Outer Limits of Inner Truth radio show. I'm your host, Ryan. Tonight, we'll be doing a forensic soul analysis on Lori Harfinis, otherwise known to millions of people as the resident. We pick Lori because we feel she's an incredible communicator. She challenges the rules and ideologies of the social norm with relentless passion. Lori is strong. She thinks for herself, and she's calling upon the masses to dare themselves, to see themselves and the world in a much wider, bigger perspective. Lori reminds me of the one person during an 80s horror movie that sounding alarm bells that Freddy or Jason is back, but everyone is either too oblivious to recognize it or doesn't want to recognize it. Here is one of her short clips titled, The Opposition Needs to Grow Up. When Snowden revealed our government spies on us, when we learned that Clinton lied to us about that girl, or that Nixon lied about being corrupt, we were shocked. What are we, babies playing peekaboo, falling for the same stupid tricks? Our history is littered with lies and corruption from the establishment, starting from the dawn of society. But instead of absorbing that knowledge into our collective consciousness and strengthening our collective bullshit meter, we all just scream in despair and tweet our shock. People, every time the man gets in front of a podium to tell you something, he's lying. He will spy on you, cheat on you, do anything he can to stay as rich and powerful as possible. The sooner we start learning from our history, the sooner we'll be a hell of a lot harder to fool. And the better our chance will be at breaking the cycle. Our inability to get that is the most shocking thing of all. Get the full story at TheResident.net. Another thing that we appreciate about Lori is the fact that a lot of her videos and insights are loaded with humor. She's a naturally funny person, and she's also discouraged of people who are anal retentive and completely by the book. A few years ago, Lori appeared in a comedy show I produced, and she broke every single rule, and it was pretty damn funny. And it was a litmus test for the room, because some people thought her risk-taking was a total stroke of genius, but most people had the blue screen of death on their face, and they were like, oh, I can't believe she did that. Oh, it's against the rules. Oh. You know, it was very amusing. Uh, between her communication skills, passion, and humor, we wanted to analyze Lori because she's a very strong person. She's got the qualities that we see in successful leaders, and she doesn't hesitate to tell anyone to fuck off if they're infringing upon her or spewing raw sewage upon the ears of collective humanity. So, without further ado, The Outer Limits of Inner Truth proudly presents Chapter 69, Miss Lori Harfinist. Today, we're very honored to have a very special guest, Miss Lori Harfinist, otherwise known as The Resident. She has a stream of consciousness, uh, I would call it very sharp and something you, you probably won't see every day or maybe 
once or twice every generation. Her perspectives are seen regularly on CNN, NBC, Fox News, Gawker. She's on RT Network. Her YouTube channel's videos have had millions of hits. I would call her probably one of the most proactive and uh, explosively creative and critical thinking voice of her generation. So without further ado, please welcome to the program, Miss Lori Harfinis. Thank you. Wow, what an introduction. Yes, well, you've done a, quite a number of videos throughout the years. And what's really interesting about your videos, Lori, I find interesting, is that they're very quick. You're able to convey a lot of information over the course of 60 seconds, um, and you really captivate an audience. Um, first of all, how did you get started, and uh, where are you right now in terms of your listenership and viewership? Uh, well, I got started um, in public access way before Internet was born, and I just really wanted uh, to say my piece to the world. I felt like there was just too much crap in society that didn't make any sense to me. And I really felt the need to connect with people and, and find out if I'm the only person that feels this way or if there are others out there who agree with me. Um, and there, it turns out there are others so who agree with me. So what are some of the things? To, uh, to answer your What are some of the things that, uh, that, that, yeah. that don't coincide with you? Like what was some of the things where you just, you know, like this doesn't make sense? You know, it runs the gamut from fashion trends to poorly written legislation. But I tend to focus on our consumerist society and our obsession with money okay. and our priorities in general. That just it permeates every aspect of our culture, and I just feel like we're, we're, we're we don't have our eye on the ball. What anymore. do you mean, don't have the eye on the ball? Because I mean, you, you've done a lot of uh, interesting, uh, interesting videos about consumerism, about Black Friday, how crazy it is. What is it about consumerism that you think is what detrimental to humanity at this point? Sure. Well, it's the golden calf, right? We've been warned about idol worship since the dawn of our civilization. All of our most important spiritual writings incorporate that idea. And yet here we are, building a society that is entirely driven by consumerism. If you listen to our politicians talk, they will tell you that it's important to grow the economy. It's economy above all, as long as we keep that going will survive. And to do that, we all need to consume. And we don't. We're not just here to eat the planet alive. We're here to connect with each other, to see what we can collectively do together and explore together. And if we're here for a minute, why not look at other things than what's on sale at Walmart? It's just it's mind-boggling to me how much time and effort we put into buying and consuming. So what would you perceive a world without consumerism? Without, without well, like know, a reduction I, about it, like maybe even a even slight reduction. Yeah, well, certainly it would. You know, it, it's not a matter of removing removing consumption because we are organic organisms. We do need to consume to keep us alive in in, in a variety of ways. But it would be great if society focused less on that and more on loftier pursuits like. Finding string theory dimensions, trying to find other life out there and learning and growing and improving uh, science to the point where our lifespans are 300 years. Why aren't, why aren't we focusing on that? I think that is much more compelling than, you know, trying to put together a cute outfit. Yeah, you know what I have to say? I, I found something a little interesting that you said earlier before about saying a lot of um, the religions or spiritual foundations are talking about the golden calf. 
yet you've been really um, distinctive in kind of picking apart and piecemealing some of the religious institutions, saying that maybe they may not be no longer relevant. So I'm just curious, what do you think the role of organized religion should be on American culture and world culture, and do you think that it would be beneficial to move away from it or to maybe embrace other aspects of spiritual living to go parallel with organized religion? Well, there are two components to to the whole that whole issue, right? There's spirituality and there's religiousness. And religion, is, especially organized religion that is powerful and wealthy, can be very dangerous and actually bad for our spirituality, right? I consider myself a very spiritual person. I don't think that there is one religion that, uh, you know, is better than the others. They all have really beautiful aspects to them that we can learn from. There's a lot of similarity in a lot of that. Um, the problem is that it's used as a weapon to sedate the masses even even more so, you know, to, to instill fear in them and, and to control them in, in usually ways that, that aren't best for, for them. It's, it's best for the powers, uh, the people at the top, right? But... That said, I do think that spirituality should be more incorporated into our society. I think largely we've, we've forgotten that, even though, you know, the United States is supposed to be a religion of Christians. There's, Christianity is so far removed from our culture that it's a, it's a joke to me that, you know, we, we consider ourselves uh, relig- uh, spiritual. Uh, why would you consider that? So I think it's... A, You're- yeah, but just because because where is where is God in... in you know, where is Jesus in in what we're preaching through our legislation and, and what are the practices going on? Our Jesus Jesus would really not be happy with the stock market. Jesus would not be happy with banks making tons of money off of other people losing their homes and their shirts off their backs and their retirements and futures. That's what is going on in our society right now. And the people who are cashing in on that are you know dressing nicely and going to church on Sundays, and it just doesn't it doesn't wash with me. But it, the, the the problem is that you know we it, religion is too often wielded as in nefarious ways, and and I think people need to really reconnect with the spirituality and the idea that we should be doing unto others as we would want done unto ourselves. And I mean that's that's just so out of line from where our society is now. If we got back to that a little bit, I think that, you know, we would we would have an easier time deconstructing these terrible structures that we put in place. You know, I give you a lot of credit and I commend you a lot for, um, you know, putting these videos out there with the expectation of trying to change the consciousness, trying to get the masses to look at themselves, look at themselves differently. But if most people are stuck in their matrix pods, as you describe it. People, they're glued to their TVs, they're glued to their iPhones, they're glued to their consumerism. Is there no, maybe there's no hope. Maybe there's no hope for the masses. Maybe there's only hope for individuals. How have you seen the world change in the last five or ten years? Do you see that the masses are collectively changing? Are you seeing um, individuals on a case-by-case or group-by-group basis becoming more inclined to question reality and to I guess, put their toe in the temptation of uh, critical thinking. Well, if, you know, historically, if we take a look at how people have reacted to, uh, you know, 
corruption in, in the powers that be and, and, and past revolutions. I mean, we're nowhere near a revolution here in this country. That's, that's obvious. You know, our, our Occupy Wall Street was, you know, a, a complete and utter bust for uh, a myriad reasons. So I, I think that I don't think we're anywhere near the rebellion that, uh, you know, that it would take to actually in, implement some changes. So I don't think it's looking good. But that said, you know, we we tend to think of our of time in general, of history in general, in the in our in terms of our very short lifespan. You know, we think of like a hundred years or like fifty years. So that's a long time, right? But that's just a drop in the bucket. So I, my point is that I think historically we're, we're you know it's going to take a few hundred years for you know crap to really start going down. But um, but I I have no idea whether that's going to happen or not, just because there's so many different things that can happen in between then in terms of climate change, you know, or, and, and, and a million different things. So really I can't say. All I know is right now I, I would say the temperature is pretty tepid and that everyone is pretty much still asleep right now because we're pretty comfortable. Yeah, they're pretty comfortable right now. But um, if you were to think about what things make you hopeful for the future, that there is hope for the future, that there is potential to change or to move towards maybe a civilization where it's more based in the idea of helping one another instead of consumerism, what makes you hopeful? And at the same time, what makes you not hopeful? What makes you believe that maybe that we won't change? Maybe there's no capability that the society is doomed to go down a downward spiral? That's a good question. I like that. There's a lot of evidence that makes me hopeful. Um, and it's all based in science, right? Because I, I really do feel like that we're eventually, whether it's in 200 years uh, due to climate change or a, or a million years, eventually humanity is going to have to get off planet, right? And if we take a look at the progress we've made, 50 years ago we got on the moon. We're, we already have toys on Mars. That to me is remarkable. And we're finding new planets left and right right now. So scientifically and, uh, you know, the advances that we're making – I think are astounding, and it only, you know, you just need one discovery sometimes that can set off a chain of events that happen very rapidly, you know. So I think that I think there's a lot of hope. I think it can turn around on a dime for humanity based on, you know, based on our learnings and, and our growth in that direction. Um, and also, even even from a climate change uh, climate change perspective, they're constantly coming out with new technologies that. You know, if they can figure out how to make money off of it and control it, then they'll implement it worldwide and it will go back to the Garden of Eden. So there's, there's lots of scientific developments that give me hope. The thing that I would say doesn't give me hope would be um, the fact that a large part of our population, they're C students, that's what I like to call them, right? They're just happy to just get by. They're not necessarily the brightest. They're not interested in being the brightest. They're just happy to plot along. And those those people, to me, represent the biggest hurdle because there's so many of us. There are so many people, and how do you change all of these people's behaviors? And they're in, you know, they're in uh, places of power. You know, they are in, they are high up in our government. They are high up in our corporations. They are the people that can make decisions that can hurt or help us, and they're not necessarily the brightest when they think short-term. 
so you know, it's the it's the stupidity of the masses that I worry about the most that'll get in our way, and I really don't know which way it's going to go. <laughs> Do you believe in the um, validation or the validity of the current political systems and the current economic systems? Like, do you feel that they can actually be changed? Um, actually be changed through a voting ballot or do you feel that the systems themselves are no longer relevant and they need to, we need to have a new system in place that basically serves the greater good of humanity? Um, you know, I think honestly, it's a it's, to me I see it as a yin-yang kind of thing of politics. Politicians are always going it's a dirty business. They're always going to be liars. They're always going to uh, end up being corrupt because we are human beings and power corrupts. And I don't think that there's, you know, you can put in any kind of system you want. Historically, uh, monarchs have done well, you know, but um, ultimately it's the balance that's more important than, than the structure in place. And by balance I mean... There's, there's going to be that corrupt political machine that, that society needs to keep it shit together. And then on the other side, on the balancing side, we need dissenters and we need people to keep that system in check, to, you know, to, to raise the uh, yellow card or the red card when they see a foul and make sure that it's kept in line. I think that balance, that yin-yang, uh, is, is humanity's... Uh, that, that's their answer to getting along in, in, with huge numbers of people. So it's less about picking a power system or, or changing it to something that's more ideological and it's more realizing, um, it, you know, it's, it's politics and, and money are necessary evils. It, it's making sure that we've got enough smart people who are aware enough of the inherent evils and are willing to make it their life work to keep those systems in check. I'd like to know if you can please talk to the audience about your personal independence <clears throat> and what you've actually done to uh, maintain your optimal health. Well, thank you for saying that, by the way. And I, and I, and I appreciate what you're saying. You know, if, if every human being on the planet became their best self-actualized person that they could be, then, yes, we, you know, that would, that would change things immediately and, and, and point us to the direction where we are focusing on better things, you know, like, like longer lifespans and all that. Um, but, I, yeah, I mean, that's the pessimist in me where I just don't see enough people interested in that. You know, we're talking $7 billion. So, and, and even in that utopia, there's going to have to be a system in place that keeps things from unraveling, and that's always going to be a dirty business for me. But uh, aside from that, what I do and what I think every human being should do on the planet uh, is to just be their best self as much as possible. And, I, you know, I call it the daily work. I think it's so easy to, you know, you, you wake up one day and you're like, you know, what happened? How did I get to this place? And that happens when you don't do your daily work. Every day you have about 20 things that come at you, and they're so small, you know. They're whether you took the stairs or the elevator. They're whether you drank enough water. They're whether you asked, that, asked the person what they meant when you didn't understand instead of pretending that you understood. It's telling your mother that you're upset about something and finding the way to really communicate with them. Your daily work has all, it comes in all these different facets, shapes, and forms, Everybody faces that, and I think 
the reason why I seem to be not aging <laughs> is because I, I really tend to that. I tend my garden on a daily basis, and I make sure I don't leave the small stuff undone because because it's, it's, a, it's a lifetime of small stuff that adds up. Okay. And, you know, one of the things we were talking about, we were talking priorhand about some things you wanted to bring up during the interview, and you mentioned one of the was that you wanted to encourage smart people to engage in politics, that a lot of people who are smart write politics off as bullshit, and they don't want to engage it. And, you know, one way I understand why some people might not want to do it because they don't see any hope within the system. They don't see any hope within joining a particular party. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, at some point you have to give up something where it's kind of like, well, you know, maybe if you take care of yourself and you maximize your life, maybe people will fall behind you on that because they'll see you're confident, you're happy, and they'll adhere to your own principles. I don't understand why there's such a need to join a party and to be politically active. Maybe the smart thing is to walk away from the system. So what do you prefer? Sure. Yeah, well, I mean, that was me. I never wanted to get involved in politics because I think it's all bullshit, especially the whole left-right dichotomy. That's a whole other discussion. Well, talk about that. You know, that you is think that's, is, is that, is that Well, that, I mean, that's just a distraction. That's, that's just a distraction. The, the real people in control don't care if it's, you know, team red or team blue. You know, it's it's all a 1% team, and the rest is just theater for us schmucks to buy into. I mean, there is no difference. They, You know, we're, because it doesn't work that way. People aren't blue or red. There's so much more complex than that, but we're told from a very, you know, young age that we're supposed to be blue or red, conservative or liberal. I'm not either one of those. And, you know, I grew up in New York, so I was very much encouraged to be a liberal and a Democrat. And, you know, there's just so many things that ring true in conservatism to me and and republicanism that, you know, it started making me question, like, well, you know, I, I don't... I don't know about this whole left-right thing. And really, if you look at it, it's just theater to distract us from the point that they're all crooks. And if you start pointing fingers at each other, then you're not pointing fingers at them, and they love that. But um, So that would be my answer to the, the left-right dichotomy. It's all crap. But I never wanted to get involved in politics. And, you know, I, I, I could see the bottom line was it's all, you know, bullshit. But I got dragged into it just, you know, because that was what was paying the bills. Frankly, that's right. where people were asking me to do work. So, so I started getting into politics, and um, I've I've kind of come to this conclusion, and it goes back to what I was saying before about the yin yang thing, where there's always going to be a power structure and there's always going to be dissenters, and it's imperative that we have those dissenters, and I think we have few of them right now. We need a lot more of them. Um, to swing the balance back in control. We're never going to – maybe we'll overthrow the system. I shouldn't say never. But, you know, if we look through the entire history of mankind, it's it's innate, the, the struggle between the powers that be and the people beneath them. It's so imperative to have smart people engaged to know when ridiculous legislation is being passed, to know when there's loopholes being written into laws that are going to screw – the people that are working too hard to have time to read those legislation. We need to represent those people because Washington certainly isn't. And I, so many of my friends just, you know, write off politics and they say, ah, oh, it's all bullshit. And while that might be true, that bullshit can eat away at a system 
very insidiously, and that's what's happening now, because we don't have a lot of dissidents. We don't have, uh, you know, there's no, everyone is so comfortable in this country, and we're, we're getting less and less engaged, even though it seems like we're getting more and more engaged. We're virtually engaging more, but we're not really engaging anymore. And that, and that virtual engaging, that, that hashtag activism, is, you know, can only go so far. It's you know, we need people marching on the mall. Well, of I, I ask you this, but what would, that, what would that do? I mean, you know, you just made a you made an interesting case earlier. You said the Occupy Wall Street movement, which had a substantial number of people actively protesting. No, no, no. It did, it did, it did not. I was there. There was a, a couple of hundred people. It was certainly not Martin Luther no. King, King's March. It, you know, it, I mean, it was a couple hundred kids, you know, and and and. And none of them were really angry or uncomfortable. What's wrong with this? What's wrong you know? with this generation? And I'm going to ask you this because this is going to come part of the next question. Uh-huh. Is that if we look at other generations that have come before us, it seems that they've all done something or either sacrificed or left something for the next generation to have to pass on. And I almost feel like the last two generations, maybe the last three, it's like dwindling, dwindling, dwindling. I have no idea what the latest generation is being left with or what they're going to pass on. Well, I, I think it goes, you know, all the way back to the boomers and industrialization and just this boom of products and technology. We're so comfortable. We're, we're, we're more comfortable than ever right now. It's, I believe that we're, if that's going to start failing and, and sooner than, than we think just because, um, because we've been so sedated and comfortable uh, the, the people in power, the 1%, the structure that is in place right now with the corporatization of this country is, is lethal to our culture. They, I mean, they, they've basically made a structure where they can just take everything, and they are taking everything while we've been asleep on, on Facebook, you know. So I think that I don't blame, I, I do not blame, you know, millennials for being the big babies that live at home that they are because their parents raised them that way. They, you know, Gen Xers coddled millennials. I live in Brooklyn. I can tell you firsthand that, you know, the, the generation of today was coddled to pieces. And so why should they leave home? They're so comfortable. What? Try to, try to go get a job when there is none, you know, the corporations, they, you know, they've got us either working as, you know, like either in a box, in a cube, working for a retirement plan that, you know, may or may not happen, or they've got us working, you know, the the shelves at Walmart. So why should they go out there? Why shouldn't they just stay home, you know? We're, we didn't give them anything to go out there for, you know? We, we, we gave them a million reasons to stay in their room. We gave them their iPhones and their video games and their Facebook and their 15 minutes of fame and uh, they're feeling that they've got lots of friends without having to to leave their rooms and face people. So I think it I think it all goes back to just your whole you know capitalist consumer thing where we just took our eye off the ball, and the people that uh, there were some people who had their eye on a ball, and it was just to take everything, and they're succeeding wildly, wildly. Okay, and. It seems that right now there's a gentleman who we've had on the program before. His name is Chris Dwayne, and he's really – I think it's very mm-hmm. fascinating because he's really been talking about the current paradigm that we're in. This is a debt and death paradigm 
we could one day move into a paradigm that serves a greater good of humanity. But it seems that this paradigm that we're in is currently profit-driven, profit-driven. So I'm curious as to what will define this generation that you just described that's been coddled. What will it take to shake them out of their tree of comfort? And what would it potentially, do you see, could be a rallying call for them to, I don't know, make their world a better place, make our world a better place, make the uh, make a generational imprint? I think, unfortunately, people are just going to have to get uncomfortable. I think it's just going to get to a point where it becomes hard to just, you know, for everyone, and I mean everyone, uh, it's going to be hard to live. You know, you can't afford your rent, you can't afford your food, you can't, uh, you know, water is, you know, actually does become scarce. We're going to have to be uncomfortable for things to really change. And, you know, again, that's a um, something that happens historically with humans. It's, it's when people are uncomfortable that they, you know, are willing to put their lives on the line to make change. What do you think would would take from to be a moral, caring society? Do you think that we can have a moral, caring society without government, without the uh, influence of religion? Can we just Can we just do that? Do we need those institutions to be moral? You know, I, I really don't know. I don't I, – I think, you know – you know what I would like to do? This is this is the one theory I had about how to correct society. We take we take everybody off Australia, right? Or, or some kind of you know <laughs> large landmass that is like remote and and uh, and separated. And all of our children go there until they're age 18. All of them, when they're born until they're 18, they go to this place where the best teachers of every subject of every country, creed, race, religion, our finest, brightest minds are there to teach our young. And when they're 18, they're released. And then I think society would autocorrect from there. <laughs> <laughs> but I think, but I think you know, once once someone's past, you know, eight years old, you, you know, you've missed your opportunity. And, and, uh, and we're failing miserably at that level. So when you get to adults, how do you correct the morally? I, I cannot say. And... Lord, there's a lot of people out there who who watched the videos, who shared your videos. There are people who are in the mainstream media. There are people who are in the alternative media that seem to have a uh, great appreciation for the work that you're doing. Now, um, teetering back and forth between both areas, there are uh, things, there are conspiracies that are out there about certain particular events. Are there any events um, that are noted record as being known as conspiracy for which you disagree with the idea that they are conspiracy, that they actually did occur the way they did occur? As according to what the mainstream media has said, right? I um, you know, I, to me, I think that I am never going to know the answer. We are never going to know what happened. If the people involved don't want us to know, we won't know. Maybe we'll know in sixty years. Maybe we won't. But to try to figure out whether nine eleven was an inside job mm-hmm. or not, to me, is ludicrous. I think the most important part of that is we the, the the notion that our government might have perpetrated such a horrible thing because we've perpetrated horrible things throughout history and we continue to do so. I think I think that's the only answer that we need. We need to be outraged by the idea that it could be plausible that our government would do something like that. I think we should be outraged you know, that that's who's running the show, whether or not, trying to figure out whether or not they they perpetrated some of these things, to me, is futile. 
you know? The Boston bombing thing. I mean, when that was going on, that was insane. I was watching it on television thinking, this is a Jerry Bruckheimer movie. I mean, it was so, it was so colossal. It was, it was, it looked so staged. It all looked so fake. And, you know, and, and then you hear things like, why was the military there before the bomb went off? And there's all these things that are questionable about it. Like, you know, did the U.S. government stage that? I would not be surprised. But I don't expect, I don't expect to know. You know, you brought up an interesting point because I, do you ever notice how when some people, they come out of a movie theater and the first thing that they say is that they're discussing the special effects of the film and they're, they're discussing frame by frame whether or not it could have existed in real life. Yet when you have events that have happened on a magnified scale that um, they, they say, well, this is the way it happened, that's the way it happened, people don't question that. But they're more inclined to question movies. I've always found that fascinating that they, won't, that they don't get this. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, they don't get the same uh, attention to yeah. it on it. Yeah, because they just they think they they think of a person sitting behind a a shiny desk with a lot of makeup on telling you the news, <laughs> then it's fact. When when all the news is like made up, believe me, I work in news. Uh, it's astounding how, so how they're, much of it they're is just making action. it all up. Making it all up. <laughs> a typical person, if you want to say this, let's say uh, an average person hears a piece of information and they either accept it or they they, they slightly question it or they. Maybe they accept it because they don't want to be scrutinized for it. Can you please tell me on a basic level of how you think, of how your mind works when you receive a piece of information, and maybe any kind of advice you would give to other people out there, especially people from your generation, how they might be able to start perceiving information? Yeah, I mean, I've I've just always naturally questioned every piece of information that that I come across. You know, I, I did not buy that whole Santa thing back in the day. And I certainly don't buy anything on face value when someone tells me it's a fact. My immediate gut reaction is to say, well, I'll, I'll determine if that's fact or not on my own. And I think more people, you know, should be questioning everything. Question everything. Because we're all just people. We're all just trying to figure things out. And every single person comes with a bias. Whether, and that's not a bad thing, you know. For some reason, we've, we've got this notion of unbiased facts. And everything goes through the lens, you know, that we're told goes through the lens of the human. And so it's going to have some of that humanness in it. It just is. And so you have to know that when you're looking at something. It's not a bad thing or a good thing. It just is a thing that you have to figure out for yourself and find your truth to it and attach to it in your way. And that's the only way to look at any information, I think. And I think, you know, that that's why I, I try to incorporate humor. I try to do it in a way that is real talk because people really need to know that. People really need to know that it's okay to be awake and to question. And it's, it's not a bad thing. It's, you know, our society tries to tell people that that's a bad thing, to just go along, you know. And 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 I think I think... People need to be encouraged to to question more things in their lives. No, I, I would call it I would call it intentional. You know, I, I don't I don't think of it in terms of that way. I like mm-hmm. that. I think that's a good side effect. I think. Well, it, I mean, it, it, it's wrapped up in the core of why I do what I do because to me, it's all about personal growth. It's all about the growth of society and trying and trying to you know correct uh, where we're headed and, and put it in a more moral and and human direction and 
that means growth, that means change, and any growth is generally uncomfortable. I like being uncomfortable. I think being uncomfortable is where interesting things happen. That's where growth happens. That's where opportunity comes. And so, you know, it's not that I want to cause anyone harm. It's what? It's that I think being uncomfortable is an important part of our process as humans. How do you feel, how do you want to be remembered? And what gift do you feel you've left humanity in the course of your work? Why would you represent your body of work and the gift that you've left humanity? Well, you know, I don't I don't know. I don't really think of, of that. I just think about, again, my daily work and making sure it's done. So if that means that, you know, if when I leave this planet I've, I've helped other people, whether it's one person or a million people, just, you know, my, I'm, I'm going to try to, I'm going to try to wake people up. I'm going to try to help people find their path to their best self. And, you know, if I succeed, then, then that's awesome. But I'm, I'm definitely going to try until I die. Awesome. Lori Harpinus, thank you so much for being with us. And you can learn more about Lori by going to her website at the resident.net on there you will find a ton of interesting videos you may want to be on that side for hours at any given time and laughing your ass off while being enlightened Laurie thank you so much thank you Ryan okay. joining us now for another inside look at the life of Miss Laurie Harfinis is globally respected psychic medium and intuitive phenom Miss Carrie O'Connor Learn more about Miss Carrie O'Connor by going to her website at carrieoconnor.com. Miss O'Connor, what can you tell us about Miss Lori Harfinis? I loved her energy. She's a voice of change. She's here to help empower people. She's got these master keys that she is inviting people to really. I love that she talks about the daily work. She's encouraging people to really do this two steps of evolving and ascension. It involves us healing ourselves, going inward. It's an inward journey. And then consciousness or the masses right now humanity is being encouraged to unplug from the matrix you could say and get up, really look at their patterns of where they're in a holding pattern and she's a huge advocate of, of having people be able to step beyond their holding patterns she's a voice of change i kept on hearing um when i looked into her energy she also has a lot of joan of arc energy really yeah do you sense that she may have been uh, somebody of uh, societal change or a uh, spark oh uh, absolutely really absolutely right i saw that she's been around many many times and the first thing i looked at her i saw a lot of sacred geometry and when people show me that instantly i know that they're an old soul i call it an ancient soul she brought me back into atlantean and lemurian times and the history of atlantean marriage um lemurian times is that we came in here and a lot of people knew that they were really connected to source and then they misused power and so there's a similar theme going on here. We've gotten really unplugged. We've gone through the dark age, and now we're in this period of waking up and getting plugged in. She's been around during all those lifetimes. All right, so just in terms of the, I'm just curious, like um, offshooting between now and the Atlantinian times, how what how close are we to repeating the same exact things? Are we just one cataclysm away from being a carbon copy of the Atlantinians, or were the Atlantinians maybe a little bit more evolved, a lot more evolved in terms of the technology and being able to incorporate that with the environment? I see them as a lot more evolved. I see that we have really, again, gotten through this period of thousands of years of being disconnected in the Dark Ages. 
but I'm also watching these advancements that we can quickly connect to it. It's like the Atlantean lifetime in particular is like an overlay. When I see an overlay of that on this lifetime in particular, I know there's profound influences, and I see this equal sign, which means to me that there's similar patterns going on that happened in Atlantean times. I do see the people more evolved, but Ryan, they got disconnected. They got more into ego. They got just they got into their head, and they didn't live in their heart. Right? They were warned. I used to I would watch these. Um, it looked like video clips where I saw people jumping in boats, and they they had some of the survivors. They knew the potential of it blowing up, and so they were going to. Um, they had people leave. They also had people stay, waiting for that. They knew the last minute that the potential of change. Lori would have been one of those people that would stay and be with the island sinking down, encouraging people to change. Wow. Yeah. Thanks, Big time. Now, in terms of um. Some of the things that what she's doing right now, do you feel that her um her tenacity is actually poking <clears throat> and having us maybe a, a change or sparking a change to come on a massive scale in the present or more of the future, do you feel? Absolutely. Right. I see that when I look at the human grids or the earth grids, it looks like an ear is is over the earth map, and then the ear is really big, and then I see the ha- uh, like a hand behind the ear, which symbolically means People are starting to wake up. Many people are doing it because their foundation is crumbled. They're scared, so they are feeling that they are in this doorway of change and that they know they have to change. Um, Something's got to give. And so she helps people. It's like she gives light for them. And at first it could look like a dim light when people are resistant to it, but that dim light is like a candle that starts getting bigger and bigger, and that passion and excitement and just being centered in our heart helps us illuminate our front path. So she's a big voice of change. I keep on, again, it's like her middle name is the voice of change. Do you think that, um, that she's, do you think that um, she could be drawing the ire of the people that are controlling everything? Do you think that she's probably on one of their lists or do you think that maybe she could potentially have any kind of protection or is she something that is maybe not even on the, on the radar of the people that are really trying to push the, uh, the tyranny, the darkness upon humanity. Right. I see that there's a part of her that has this protection, and that's what I noticed when I first looked in her energy field that looks like a shield around her. A lot of divine feminine spirit, just think of the, um, the are, are really protecting her. It looks like she's got huge, huge angels around her. Like when I see mountains that, that um, turn into angels, that's very high-frequency protection. It makes her invisible to some energies that could want to put her under attack. And it's not going to stop her voice. It's not going to, she's the voice of change. They can't turn down the volume because it's part of their life purpose here. Oh, that's fantastic. Miss Carrie O'Connor, that was a really great, insightful analysis on Miss Lori Harpinist. And uh, thank you so much. And to learn more about Miss Carrie O'Connor, please go to her website at carrieoconnor.com. Thank you again so much, Miss O'Connor. Thank you, Ryan. It's always a pleasure. Joining us now to provide another insight on the past lives of Ms. Loy Harfinis is past life reader extraordinaire and psychic medium Miss Laura Lynn we can learn more about Laura Lynn by going to her website at angelreader.net Miss Lynn what can you tell us about Miss Harfinis first of all how dynamic she is I really resonated with her and how her convictions and she's just a, a very smart smart woman that is so empowered, and I loved that interview, Ryan. I loved it. Oh, great. Now, from the perspective that I was picking up spiritually, I do see that she's had, well, what I would call an extremely wise soul, wise old soul, and she has 
been a traveler for many indigenous areas and has gained appreciation of culture because of living so many different unique uh, variety of of past uh, situations. Tribulation. What, what, what would you say would be her most? Uh, what are the most significant lives that you see picking up? Like, what would you say the most significant ones that really maybe change the trajectory of her evolution? I would say it, I was picking up a lifetime when she was in Argentina as a woman, mm-hmm. and she had she was a she was a crafter, she artist, and she really enjoyed that work. And she also took care of children in the village. And the, there wasn't a lot of money. There wasn't a lot of um, me, means to go around. But what there was was a totally appreciated. And she used every scrap and every anything that she could to recycle. She she kept it. And it seems that during that lifetime, she found a deep appreciation for community, village. And it seems that that has really inspired her into her soul dwelling now her 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 current consciousness that she sees an ideal that works so beautifully and she really her her soul her whole being wants to get back to that space right. it's like crying back we can do this we can do this as a community I, um, and thinking about some of the stuff that she's putting out there she's putting a lot of information out there that seemed to be a uh, contradiction or against the uh, what's considered to be social norm However, based on the communication that she that she's putting out there, would you say that uh, she's still in the same type of energy field, only the communication is differently? Um, do you think that she's advocating another form of collectivism or another shift towards a kind of like a group thought as opposed to a total individual um, fulfillment of life? I feel like she's a visionary and she sees things ahead of time. Okay. And you know, she is ahead of her own time, and this is where we're going to be shifting. The things that she's putting out there, we are going towards. And, again, with her conviction, it it really shows how strong she is. She's not afraid. She's she's an advocate for really what would work in this culture and, 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 and on this planet when we're ready to be there. Okay, so would you say that she's maybe, uh, she could be potentially be considered a pioneer for the next, uh, if we do have the paradigm shift that's going towards the greater benefit of humanity, whereas human wellness, human uh, humanity, humanity becomes a focus as opposed to profit, as opposed to debt, as opposed to death, do you think she'd be considered a pioneer in that particular area of that paradigm? I feel like that's a wonderful description, yes. Um, some of her other, what would you say would be her last life before this one? The last life before this one was when she was a African-American male. Uh, she passed in, I felt like around the 20s. Okay. And it, she lived here in the northern, or she lived in the northern states, but there was still, you know, a lot of challenges. And, you know, she found... I, it's so confusing saying she, he, but he found his way working in the newspapers, uh, taking care of inks and uh, take, cleaning the machines, but he really wanted to be a writer. Okay. And he loved the, the, the reading. He loved knowledge, and he really 
wish that he could have shared what he what he knew in his own mind with a lot of people. He he actually would fantasy, fantasize about writing these stories. Okay. So, uh, Miss Laura Lynn, thank you for your analysis, for your great analysis on Miss Laurie Harpiness. And to learn more about Miss Lynn, please go to her website at angelreader.net. Thank you so much, Miss Lynn. Thank you, Ryan. What do the stars hold for Miss Lori Harfinis? Joining us now is the astrophenom, our astrologer, Miss Constance Stellis. Learn more about Miss Stellis by going to her website at constancestellis.com. Miss Stellis, what can you tell us about Miss Lori Harfinis? Well, um, I know that she does some work uh, on the radio and uh, with the media, and that is very much in keeping with her Aquarius sun. Um, Aquarius rules the airwaves, and I have found more than, uh, you know, an average number of people uh, who are Aquarians, like you are, as a matter of fact, um, involved with radio, because the thrust is to get the message out, whatever a person feels the message is. Um, She has another um, figure in her chart, which is called a Grand Air Trine. Trine is a triangle. And so not only does she want to get the message out, but there is an enormous amount of power, intensity, maybe even anxiety behind what she says. So it's not like she's going to casually just say, well, this is what I think. She's going to say, this is what I think. <laughs> and she's quite <laughs> quite vehement about that and uh, certainly not shy about expressing uh, how she feels the Earth is quite, uh, not quite up to snuff here. The the planet is not doing what it ought to do. Um, interestingly, her chart says that she is slightly introverted, which you may not suspect from her, let's say, um, avocation at the moment. Uh, but she has a, a very, very strong sense that all people should come together and do the right thing and be kind. Um, and uh, she wants to um, broadcast that sense in as many ways as possible. Now, her moon sign is Virgo, and Virgo and Aquarius are not immediate friends. Uh, By that I mean Virgo is rather specific, detailed-oriented, and focused on uh, perfection, and Aquarius is you know, screw that. Let's all just get together and, and, and kind of be friends here and no rules and no regulations. And Virgo says lots of rules and regulations. So within her own personality, there is a, a, a conflict. Um, I think that it creates a, a, a very strong work ethic towards what she's doing, but maybe personally kind of tears her up a little bit inside. And then we have her rising sign, which is her showmanship. Leo rising. Um, I don't know what she did before she became uh, the mouth of uh, her ideas, but she has a very creative chart and um, is uh, is trying to use some of the things that don't really um, easily come together in her chart in a positive way. By that I mean that if she didn't have the outlet of expressing her opinion and trying to make things um, better 
through her media appearances, through her radio show, through everything, she would be uh, a very pent-up person. There's a lot of energy that she has to <laughs> to express. And from what I've heard, she expresses it. <laughs> she does it in a very sharp way. Um, what do you think that uh, her some of the greater qualities that she can engage in? Like, do you think she, you felt at this point that she's fully utilizing her talents, or could she? What other talents could she be fully utilizing based on her? I, I think that she has visual art um, uh, cap- t- talents. She has uh, three planets in Capricorn in the fifth house of uh, creativity. And, um, you know, 400 years ago, that would mean probably that she'd have a great number of children. Um, I'm not so sure she will have a great number of children, or maybe she does. Does she have kids? Um, I'm not aware of. Yeah. So, um, you know, now there are more ways that a person can express their creativity. Um, But I think that she has a, um, a craft ability and also, if she were to um, do any sculpture or clay or modeling clay, something like that, something three-dimensional that she could actually touch, it would be um, it would be very grounding. And I'm sure she would come up with some unique uh, uh, unique uh, creations. Yep. Uh, and I don't think this is the end of the line as far as a career goes for her. Um, she's going to try a couple of different things, and I'm sure she has already. Wow. Is Constance Stellis. That was an excellent analysis. Thank you, thank you so much. And to learn more about Miss Stellis, please go to her website at constancestellis.com. That is the website of our in-house astrophenom, Miss Constance Stellis. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Right, Bye. Thank you. Bye. Sure. Joining us now for an additional insight on the soul of Miss Lori Harfin is is globally respected psychic media, Mister Vincent Jenna. You learn more about Vincent by going to his website at Vincent Jenna. That's G E N N A dot com. Mr. Jenna, what can you tell us about Miss Lori Harfinist? Oh, she has some issues she's dealing with in this lifetime. She's really attempting to go a straight path and and be of a positive effect on society. However, she's still stemming from maladaptive beliefs from her childhood. She doesn't realize she's a fundamentalist, okay? And which what I mean by that is religion made a very huge impact in her life. And what she's doing is she's feeling or attempting to feel spiritual, but she's using such a dogmatic background to come from that a lot of the information that she's giving out today is being influenced by that. It's being her perception is totally being influenced from her past. Um, There's a hardness to her. Um, I think that she's harboring some inner resentments and angers. She was not treated um, uh, gently as a child. I'm definitely sensing some periods in her childhood where where it, it was rough for her. Um, I'm feeling a lot of male competition around her. So I'm not sure if that's just coming because of siblings or because of dad or mom was a little bit more passive. But but there is an inner strength to her that she is supposed to use, which is why she created all of this. But she's narrow. She's narrowing her view. I'm seeing a narrow view. I'm also seeing a narrow view in her family and a narrow view of life definitions. And they're very... Hard press. You can you can hear it in in the reports that she gives. It's so strong. She's actually a female version of me as far as the passion behind the work. 
So she's good that way where she has the passion behind the word, but the word is a little convoluted and a little ambiguous and a little influenced by that, like I said, that dogmatic, fundamental religion view. Like, where is God in the school, and, 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 and why aren't we, you know, you know doing this? And, and, and consumerism, and, and she talks about consumerism, and, and we have to change our values of society. And here's the problem, which is stemming from her own problem. She's victimizing herself, and she's victimizing everybody. What she's saying is us getting involved in consumerism is messing up our lives. And so she's pointing fingers at things. She did that as when she came out of in high school, she started pointing fingers is what I'm feeling. And out of high school, she definitely pointed fingers. And she's a tough cookie to get along with romantically. Let me tell you something. Um, because she, she's not passive at all. And so by her pointing fingers, what she's doing is she's directing the attention to the wrong problem. Consumerism is not a cause of anything. It's a result of. You can't, read, you can't stop thinking about materialism until you start finding what's valuable about you. People are turning to those things. People are turning to the politics because of what's going on the inside of them, not the outside. So she's very, she's trying to feel deep, and she's trying to give deep impressions and opinions, but they're very, very surface. They're the typical surface uh, problem that people um, express as to what the problems are in the world. It's because of the president. It's because of the economics. It's because we outsource everything. It's because we let in too many um, illegal aliens. It's always the cause of, rather than I'm the cause of. Uh, do you, so we have to. Do you change. think that um, whatever the information that she's putting out there is provoking people into a uh, a shift or a possible change in thought process away from the current debt and death paradigm? That even though her views may be uh, rooted in a dogmatic type, religious type perspective, or she may have some of that resonance with her, that the information that she's putting out is causing people to think, is causing people to possibly consider other options than the current way of life that they're currently living at this present time? Actually, to be quite yeah. honest, no. They, you know how many social workers are out there trying to change the world? You know how many activists are out there trying to shift the world and shift the thinking? When you come from it at that point, and she uses the word spirituality, which she really shouldn't use because religion has nothing to do with spirituality, and you can't shift people's bad views by giving them other bad views. So, yes, she is shifting the, the understanding, but she's shifting it to the wrong place again, which is what we've been doing since the beginning of time. Um. And, but where and is she shifting it to? Spiritual understanding. Where? Well, she's, she's, she's making people more riled up about other things. Your greatest spiritual leaders, okay, will never blame something in the outer world as to causing our problems. So she said, and, and, and I'm paraphrasing, but one of the, well, the things that I listened in, in a recording was, Consumerism, people are focused on consumerism, and they need to change that. Okay, so what do they need to change about it? So stop your focus on consumerism, so what should you focus on? Okay, you should focus on religion. Okay, let's focus on religion. What does that have to do with healing the issue that caused you to focus on consumerism to start with? So no, I don't believe she's shifting, she's distracting. 
religions and and certain activism. I, I want to say the word right. Um, activisms, if that's really a word, um, they they distract. They don't heal. They distract you because they give you another place to look at other than within your own personal heart and soul. And I didn't hear that from her. And the reason why is because that's how she treats her life. Because when you're in a victim mode, and I know she would say she doesn't feel like she's a victim, but when you're in that type of mode and you're looking externally outside your life, I kind of feel that those things are actually influencing her own life, and she keeps looking for the answer and the shift on the outside. We have to be better people. Ryan, this doesn't make sense to tell somebody, okay, the only way that you're not going to be affected by this is by being a better person. Oh hey, well, don't you think everybody's walking out there trying to believe they are better people? And they're not. They're not. They're getting caught up in these, in, in these different uh, contextual uh, uh, philosophies and thoughts and, and desires and, and concepts and, and paradigms, and it's all because they're not focused on the internal stuff. I don't believe Lori focuses on her own internal stuff, which is reflective in the work that she does. Okay, and do you th- is there any way you think she could possibly improve her her ability? What do you think is the biggest uh, challenge that she's facing, or is it, what's something that she could possibly one thing she could possibly do to maybe shift? Oh, shift? her her belief system, her belief system. Like I said, she keeps talking about a spiritual world, spiritual world, spiritual world. She's not talking about spirituality. She's talking about religion, and that is completely different. I mean, believing in Jesus as Lord does not stop you from going in the mall and raising your credit card debt to the kilt. It's really getting the right understanding that we are God. We are spirit. We are that great peace because that's what we were created to be. And because we don't feel that way, and power and this concept, she was having concepts that, oh, yeah, mankind always goes towards power, and power always disrupt, you know, corrupts everybody. No, that's not true. We go towards power because we feel inadequate. We go towards power, and that's what she's doing. She needs to change her beliefs. Her beliefs, your beliefs create your life. Your beliefs motivate your words. Your beliefs even motivate your, your career, your dreams dreams, your desires, your goals. She needs to shift her beliefs because they're a little off. Vincent Jenna, that was an excellent, excellent analysis. I want to thank you so much. And to learn more about Vincent Jenna, please go to his website at vincentjenna, that's G-E-N-N-A dot com. Thank you so much, Vincent. Thank you for having me, Ryan. Joining us now for an additional insight on the energy field, Ms. Lori Harfinis is globally respected psychic medium. And psychic intuitive, Miss Lisa Kaza. You learn more about Miss Lisa Kaza by going to her website at Lisa L A S A Kaza C A Z A dot com. Miss Kaza, what can you tell us about Miss Harfinist? Lori is one of the greatest truth seekers and revealers of her time. Her spirit is all about justice and fairness. And speaking of spirit, she is actually actually an extremely old soul, originating from, I'm quite surprised, the time of Atlantis. So it wouldn't surprise me if she's got, you know, a strong affinity to, for example, water and dolphins, crystals and sacred geometry, that kind of thing. 
Now, a quick, a, a quick history lesson here to explain her mission. She is deeply concerned about government corruption and, and things such as finding renewable energy sources because as the legend of Atlantis goes, Atlantis perished due to corrupt government officials who decided to take these large crystals and channel sunlight through them and use them as weapons in order to overtake other land masses. And they were doing this behind the backs of the peace-loving citizens of Atlantis. But unfortunately, they just ended up imploding their own land, so that that's why Atlantis fell. So Laurie has, has come literally time and again, ever since the fall of Atlantis, to ensure that this doesn't happen again, and to bring the government into integrity and to be held accountable. So, you know, I've seen lifetimes here where she was literally um, in World War II in a Jewish concentration camp. She was a native girl who, who walked through the Trail of Tears. And she was also in the times of Henry VIII and William I, uh, William the Conqueror. So if you, if you take a look at every single lifetime that I've been shown, um, they're the most historical times in terms of tyranny and, and genocide. Okay. Do you ever see her having a life as, uh, as somebody who's black? You know what? It wouldn't. Say, I would have to say yes. Oh, definitely. Okay. Definitely. Come. Uh, the one that I'm being shown at, right here, right this second, is her traveling literally by boat from Africa over to the states. Wait, are there are there uh, any particular places or locations in the United States you think that she would have a particular bond with or connection to, where she might, um, in the modern day reality, have a connection to or have an Okay, I am being shown once again the Trail of Tears um, as an example. Uh, they were moved from the southeastern parts of the U.S. So, uh, southeastern, so, you know, where, the, where the, the Choctaw Nation was and the Cherokee Nations were, um, she probably feel uh, not only a particular uh, love towards those nations, but also to the, the southeastern states. Um, also, due to the slave, the slave trade, I would have to say uh, Louisiana and Georgia, um, those areas are, are being shown to me very strongly as okay. well. I want to come back to Atlantis for one second because you had just uh, described the situation of Atlantis where uh, the people were going behind the freedom-loving people or the peaceful-loving people's back, and they were doing all these experiments, and then in the end, they destroyed Atlantis. So I pose this to you, Ms. Casa. Lori is now in a position where she's able to communicate to millions of people. Now, let's say that she's communicating effectively, and, and um, more than half or majority of the mainstream people are resonating with Ms. Lori's uh, you know, message, and they're passionate about it. What can they do? What can you do to do anything to stop or to even put a dent in the will of people who are trillionaires, of people who have this much power, um, the idea of even collective humanity standing up as one and going against these individuals, I don't even think that they could potentially be effective because this collective humanity have the resources or the power or the intellect or the cunning to take action against these uh, people. I don't think they do. And I don't I think they well, do. Then if they do, then why would why would we not have seen Atlanta survive? If we had peaceful loving people that were out there how would they be able to be subjected, subjugated to a fate brought upon them by these individuals who were power-hungry? And if that is the case, if we experience that in Atlantis, 
are we going to not experience a repeat of Atlantis right now in terms of the world the way it is? You have scientists experimenting with dark matter, and you have scientists doing things maybe behind our backs, and you have these uh, governments doing things behind our backs. I mean, are we not going to relive the same fate? Well, yeah, we are right now, but this is what she's trying to stop. That's why she, she, and the thing is, time and again, like I said, she's been trying to get that message out through each and every single lifetime that, that she's come here. And the thing is, the people do have the power. And the, the, the term uh, learn from the past and learn from the stakes from mistakes comes out very strongly here. So it's learn from the history instead of repeating the history. And, I mean, people have been programmed through uh, religion, through um, the power-hungry mongers that we call government. We've been programmed to believe that we don't have the power, when in all actuality, we do. If if people don't even recognize that they have the power, if people don't even realize that they have a problem, how can people even um, remotely even begin to start up a solution to something that they don't even feel they have a problem? I mean, one way I, I commend Lori that she's out there being really passionate about this, and I do feel that she's connecting with some people, but I don't think in one way that uh, her or many of the other people out there, even the ones on the largest scale, are effective enough to even captivate the attention of, let's say, even 10% of the population at this point to really mobilize them. Maybe I'm uh, Debbie Downer, maybe I'm not somebody who's got the most optimal perspective on the situation at hand, but I do not see a collective mobilization that is galvanizing towards an evolutionary jump that we supposedly are going towards. And I do not see a, a collectivism or collective group effort on behalf of humanity to um, embrace a new paradigm where humans come first. I just don't see it happening. I feel that the people who are behind the scenes, they're doing a phenomenal job of orchestrating this, and I think that they're going to be in power a lot longer than what we'll probably give them credit for. So, sorry. Well... I'm going to have to agree to a certain okay. point. I mean, uh, like, like, yeah, like uh, right now we're not seeing the collectivism that should be there. But that's why if you, you and our listeners, everybody out there, take a look at each and every single person that we have had on this show thus far. They've all come here in this time, period in time to try to wake up the masses, to to, to get them going. And as a result of their work, it is working. But, yes, I do see, like, the uh, the majority, they're still not waking up or they're in denial or they're just walking around. Like, we are truly in what I I call it the the zombie state. This, This is the zombie apocalypse as far as I'm concerned. But it's something that Lori herself said that rings so very true, and it's something that I've said to my own clients, is that nobody uh, tries to change something unless they get deeply hurt or suffer in some way. Some form of negativity has to get to them to the point where they take change. Because it's like, well, if you're happy, why bother changing? So, yes, there's a, there, there are still a lot of people that are right now just, whether they're lazy or too dumbed down, probably both, they're not doing anything, but it's because they're not feeling the effects. Therefore, it's just, it is going to get worse. I have been saying that for a long time. Things are going to get worse before they get better, but they will get better, and it will be because people will wake up. I have faith in, in all of us. I... And if you would say that if there's any lessons or things that Laurie can be working on in her soul for this lifetime, what would you say you would recommend to her? 
one thing that I feel that she's not showing it, but I do feel that there is a bit of fear in her for standing up for for herself and for others. Um, she needs to set aside that fear. I feel like she is holding herself back. And this is, seems to be a remnant of a lot of her past life, because in a lot of her past life, she was more of the observer or the, uh, not the observer, but the, she was taking part in it in, in some way. She was always the quote-unquote the victim instead of the activist. So she's got that bleeding into this lifetime. She needs to get rid of that um, observer-like state and literally push aside that fear and go full force with this. I really don't feel she's going full force. Not yet. Uh, and it's because of the fear. Okay, well, Lisa, that was a great and wonderful, insightful analysis. Really appreciate it. And to learn more about Miss Lisa Kaza, please go to her website at Lisa, L-A-S-A, Kaza, C-A-Z-A, dot com. Thank you so much, Miss Lisa Kaza. Oh, thank you so much yourself, Ryan. Okay, everyone, that concludes tonight's edition of the Outer Limits of Inner Truth radio show. I want to thank our special guest, Ms. Lori Harfinis. I want to thank our virtues, Ms. Carrie O'Connor, Ms. Laura Lynn, Ms. Lisa Kaza, Ms. Constance Dallas, and Mr. Vincent Jenna. You can learn more about the show by going to our website at OuterLimitsRadio.com. Until we see each other again, my friends, wishing upon you peace, love, and beers. Have a great night and a great week. The deals are getting hotter during the dear days of summer. Get 0% financing for 60 months on all John Deere compact tractors. Plus, get a best-in-class six-year powertrain warranty at no additional cost. Hurry in today for the hot deals of summer. Offer ends August 2nd, 2016, subject to approved installment credit with John Deere Financial. Terms, conditions, exclusions, and warranty limitations apply. See dealer for details. Visit your local John Deere dealer today to take advantage of special savings going on now. Find out more at myjohndeeredealer.com.